Well, uh, thank you for having me. It really is a pleasure to sort of get to be here. The Kesslers were spoiling me this morning with a, a breakfast uh, made for kings, and, um, and I, I got a little bit of a window into your world last night for those of you who were there as well. Um, it's nice to see behind the curtain on the first go, so um, I haven't been here in some time, so it's, it really does feel um, uh, fortunate. Um, we've we've uh, let me give you some prayer requests for us, selfishly, uh, before we start. Um, based on uh, how things are going right now, we're really praying that God would uh, provide a South Asian pastor for us. And there's a, there's a gentleman from a Hindu, he was a Hindu priest for 20 years. He's one of the most prominent Hindu priests in all of Europe. And he came to faith about 10 years ago. And um, God really has used him uh, a lot in our congregation. So his, uh, is this recorded, by the way? Okay, so I won't say his name, um, but, uh, but please pray that God would continue to raise up South Asian elders for us. Another prayer request um, is that my wife has been going through a good bit of burnout. We've been a little brittle in terms of uh, our, our body and our bones um, and things like that. So uh, just if, if you're the praying type, uh, I'd love for your prayers. Um, um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that has happened uh, to me over the last... A couple of years, my father passed away. These are a lot of a lot of prayer requests at the same time, and uh, I've missed having um, I've missed having him around, and I've found myself kind of this has been true for me for a lot of my life, kind of looking to mentors, looking to older uh, men in particular to, you know, just help. When I when I was in uh, university at Clemson um, in uh, 03 and 04, I was. I was wrestling with my faith a lot, and I kind of didn't know if I wanted to be a Christian anymore. And so I decided to go to seminary um, to, uh, to figure it out. And uh, there's a joke that I, they almost didn't let me in. And, um, and I said, he said well, well, I mean, some of your questions kind of concern us a little bit. Uh, like, are you a Christian? I was like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it. A lot of times, I don't know. And, uh, and they called my campus minister and said, you know what, Stephen, you can't be honest about everything. You can, you can hold back a little bit when you're applying to a theological institution. So, um, But I've kind of missed that kind of older man in my life that's kind of looking out for me and caring for me and uh, kind of leading me a little bit on the path. And uh, the book of First uh, John, we say one John in England, the book of First John is John's an old man. I don't know if you know any old men that got nothing to lose and nothing to prove. But this is John. And he calls, he calls us in this passage, he calls us children. You know when you're so old you just call everybody son and daughter? An older one that's just trying to, trying to help us through tough times, yeah? This is what we have in the book of 1 John. And I'll tell you, this passage has been helpful for me personally and I thought that I would share it with you today, and we'll just walk through it little by little. And, um, and I, I believe it might be on the screen, or it might be in front of you. Um, this, is, this is from John. He's got nothing to lose, he's got nothing to prove, and he's trying to help you. He's trying to help you this morning. Uh, let me read this. I'll just read it from the screen while it's up there. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But if you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge, I write to you that not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and help us. For those that are discouraged and despairing, we pray that you would bring comfort. And those who are comfortable, we pray that you would bring disruption. We pray you would use your word in a way that would remind us of the tune of the good news. Forgive us of our sins, there's so many. And forgive me for all my sins as I share this. Help us, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, One of the things in our world is that when people come to faith from a Hindu background, you may not see this in your context, but one of the first things you see when you go into a South Asian's home is you see an idol. And not like money's an idol, like we say. I'm talking like an idol. And uh, one of the most difficult things is when people come to faith, if you tell a Hindu about Jesus, most of them will say, Bring it on, baby. Put one more up there, right? It's like telling me to have another plate of barbecue when I'm in South Carolina. I mean, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. But if you tell them that's the only one, that's the only one they can serve, that is very, very challenging. So oftentimes, either the whole church or a number of men or women in the church will have to go to their house to get the idol out. Because it's so difficult to turn away from the thing that we have put our trust and our faith in for years and generations. It's hard. And maybe my, my challenge to you this year is, what if I take away that you'll buck back at me? What about our lives is so fixated on something that's not following Jesus or not following the Scriptures that if I take it away from you, you'll probably buck a little bit. Because in a lot of ways, I heard, I heard about a story. It was this older woman, and she had studiously put away a little bit of money every month, every month, every month, and she was about to retire, and she met with the banker, and she said, how's my investments doing? She was so excited. She had had a plan to retire, and the banker sat her down and said, I mean, I don't know how to tell you this, but all these years you were given all this money, you've been giving it to a checking account. There's been no investment. She would have been a multi-multi-millionaire. And he said, there's very little here that can take care of you for the rest of your life. And what John is saying here is that 
all these shiny, affectionate things that we oftentimes see in the world are not going to take care of you. I'm not going to hug you back. And it's a hard word. Some, some, I mean, when you, know, when, you, when you see a passage that says, do not love the world, it's like, well, a missionary is definitely preaching this. Because what Jesus is saying is that he is the truth. And that we must turn away from the lies of the world. And that's a hard saying. Because you're like, lies, easy, John. Like, can we just round off those edges a little bit? Lies is such a, it's such a divisive word. It's a little too harsh. And yet, if he's an old man with nothing to lose and nothing to prove, maybe he has something to teach us. But what does it mean to love the world? So I'll say it in three different ways. Loving the world exploits our shallow desires. It gives us friends we don't want, and it loosens our grip on the truth. It exploits our shallow desires. It gives us friends we don't want, and it loosens our grip on the, tr- on the truth. Um, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone, loves the, uh, 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 if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And when I read this the first time, I thought, don't love the world, but didn't Jesus say, God so loved the world? It's like, well, well, our love is a little different, right? It's a little bit different. Because when we love the world, the world sometimes make us, makes us bend to it. When God loves the world, the world bends to him. Because when we love the world, in, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says, for Demas in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Or in James 4.4, 4, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Or in 1 John 5.19, it says, The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. There's something about loving the world that contorts us to the world. It makes us desert our friends. It transforms us without consent. It puts us under the power of the devil and it creates hostility and opposition between our relationship with God. Not a real big signpost. But it goes even further in how it says it. It says, For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of eyes, the pride of life, all these things, they're not from the Father, but from the world. Now, we don't really use the word desire. We primarily use the word desire in a positive way, but the Bible primarily uses it in a negative way. So the word desire comes up 38 times in the New Testament, and three of them are in a positive way. Because the the way the desire, when you kind of think about, have you ever seen a sale uh, at a shop or something that says, we've got stuff you didn't even know you needed? Right? (laughs) It's like, Bring me on in. It sucks us in. Because the desire of the flesh, like, again, we don't use that word. Another translation is the craving of the sinful nature. Uh, let me pick on pregnant women, as I normally do. Uh, if, if you've been pregnant before and you have this very strong craving that nothing feels like it's going to satisfy except pickles and cheese and cottage cheese, right? Or some, something that's totally outside of normal, it kind of takes you over, right? Whether it be lust or whether it be... Uh, a desire for something that doesn't belong to you. And then desires the eyes, things that you see that are generally on the outside of it, that are superficial, that draw you in. 
It's 11.23 at night, and you just look around on Amazon, right? Desire of the eyes. Maybe I should get another air fryer, right? The desire of the eyes. We see things, and we want them. Or the pride of life, which is generally associated with possessions. If I can only get this, then my life will be better. If I only had a 15% raise, if I only could get another bathroom in my house, right? This is what we tell ourselves. Or as one commentator said, he said, just look at Eve. She wanted the fruit. She had this craving for the fruit. There was something about the taste of the fruit that was very powerful. The desire of the eyes, so we wanted something we didn't have. And then the meaning we attached to it, if I have this, then I will be like God. So I do a lot of couples counseling, and one of the things we do is we try and externalize the cycle between the, the, the husband and the wife, and then you kind of work together against the cycle. But my question for you is, what takes you in? What is something that tastes, something that you might be coveting, and what is the meaning you put beside it? Then I'll finally be free. Then I'll finally be respected by my mother. Then I'll finally, then I'll finally be in the middle class or the upper class. Or respectable. So we, see, the world draws us in by these things. They, they draw us in because we are suckers to it all the time. We have all these shallow desires. I have all these shallow desires. Who is going to tend to them if not Amazon? Who is going to tend to them if not Apple? If not prostitutes? Who is going to tend to these desires? My, uh, my nephew is really into Pokemon cards right now. And I feel so bad for my younger nephew because my older nephew is about nine, my, ne- my younger nephew is about six. And he says, hey, let's trade Pokemon cards. And it's like, oh, man. Because the nine-year-old knows what's valuable, and maybe the four- or five-year-old doesn't know which is valuable. So what he does, he trades all his rubbish cards, all his garbage cards, for all the ones that are the most valuable. Right? And this is what the world does to us. It sucks out the inherent value, the image of God, the dignity that we have, and it replaces it with a two-year-old air fryer you haven't opened up yet. This is how the world works. Is that it draws us in. It's like, let me just taste it. Let me just try it. Let me just, if I have it then. These are the things that, are, that draw us in. But what does it say? The love of the Father is not in them. But if you can think about, think about it positively, that our faith is defined by the love of the Father. That our faith is defined by the love of the Father. Some of you are, are, are trapped <laughs> by the schemes of the world. Get in line, baby. Who is going to come to us? Who is going to come to us when we have given in, when we have put meaning behind it, and we have been left empty? Jesus is the one that comes, unbeckoned, when we were still sinners, when we were rebels, when right now, when you woke up bitter, and you woke up thinking, this is the last time I'm coming to this church. Maybe I'm ready to throw in the towel on Jesus. This is when he comes. He comes because he loves us. 
that He loves us because He loves us. That we can be totally exposed in all of our knots of sin and worldliness, and yet He loves us like a father loves a child. Like a mother tends to a child. This is how He loves you now. That is the definition of our faith. That instead of exploiting our shallow desires, He pushes them deeper to the bottom. He pushes them deeper to the bottom that it might satiate not our 17 seconds of our one bad decision, but for an entire life. Because it says that if you abide with Him, you'll abide forever. And that everything that's been taken from you will be paid back with dividends. And all the longings that you've ever wanted in your life will come true. That you're going to be eternally grateful for exactly how your life turns out because there is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. And he says that we, the likes of us, get to be kings and queens. Don't waste your shallow desires on the world because there's something better. And our old friend John is saying, you come too. This old man who knew Jesus well, he said, you know, you can do it too. You can lay on him like I laid him. You can, you can remortgage your life on him again. He said, you come. You come to me. The world will exploit your shallow desires, but Jesus will deepen them. And he'll satisfy them forever. This is the invitation of John today. Not only will he exploit the world will exploit your shallow desires. It'll also give you friends you don't want. <laughs> um, in verse 18, it says, children, it's the last hour. And, and in Bible language, for those of you who might not be familiar with the Bible, so after Jesus' resurrection and before he comes back, which is a long time, <laughs> it's been a long time, but he says it's the last hour. It's the last hour. And, and one of the things I love about that is that, that's about all I got in me, an hour. But he says, it's the last hour. Hold on. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it's the last hour. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. So Antichrist is kind of a little bit, for those of you who are uh, from the 90s, um, there's a big deal about, you know, left behind and sort of, for those of you who are real enamorado is how you say in Spanish, you're like enamored with uh, end time stuff, Antichrist is a big deal. Uh, but for those of you who have, uh, and John's the only one that uses it, so the Gospel of John, the 1, 2, 3 of John, uh, and uh, Revelation in John, he uses Antichrist. But other, other authors in the, in the scriptures will use other words, like Paul uses in 1 Timothy 4, deceitful spirits. Peter uses, uh, scoffers will come in the end times, uh, Peter 3.3. 3. Jesus talks about false messiahs and false prophets. And then Luke in the book of Acts said that men will come with uh, speaking twisted things in the book of Acts. These are all normative things. But what 1 John is saying here is that these aren't the bad guys out there. No, these guys came from the church's ranks. That people have left the church so in, in, the, in these kind of network of churches during this letter, there was, a, there was a group of people, kind of think of them like TikTok influencers. They left the church, and they all got together, and they were trying to 
bring people out of the church. Right? And so we know this is normative. This is a normal thing now. That people will leave the church, and then what will they say? They'll go through deconstruction, or for those of you who are familiar with the subculture, Christian adjacent, and they will try and extract people from that. But what he's saying is there's a normal nature to that in the, in the life of the church. If that's happened in this church, which I assume, it's a normal part. And what he's saying is, is they went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out for us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. Friends, let me just be a little pushy here, if I haven't been pushy already. Um, Many of us here may be, this is not from your pastor, I'm just saying as a general, I I have no secret knowledge or anything of this, not context. There are a number of you now who are thinking about leaving the church. It's a normal part of temptations. Friends, Jesus himself has wed himself to the body of Christ And to leave the visible church is to leave him. I say that with solemnity and voice as a number of friends of mine have left the faith. Because Jesus is the head of the church and for us to leave it, we are making ourselves the head. There are a few things you can do that would make me dislike you more And if you are mean to my children, or if you're mean to my wife, it doesn't take long. I'm not going to like you. I'm not going to like you at all. Some kid uh, slapped my my seven-year-old the other day at school, and I said, tell me who he is. (laughs) Because they belong to me. They belong to me. And the church of Jesus Christ belongs to him. So I I give you this warning, not as a threat, but the jacuzzi nature of God's love comes a través. It comes through this local body. We need each other. Warts and all. We need each other to believe the gospel. Now there's something that I can do when I'm talking to someone who's, who's had... Uh, trauma or abuse or suffered war crimes, I can help them with some tools. But I can never help them like a chorus of people saying that you belong to God, you are loved by God, that shame can never be answered individually. Guilt can never be answered without a chorus of people coming alongside of you and saying, I am part of the brigade of the kingdom of God, unworthy as I may be but you can come too. Friends, the world will give us friends that we don't want and that will harm us. But Jesus will give us a community of faith that will endure forever. It will endure forever. And as we love and serve people outside of the church, obviously all the time, we do it knowing that there is this jacuzzi of love when we come back to this community. This is the promise of God, that you invest in this community, that you invest in the people of God, 
and he says that he will reward you. If you, what you risk for the kingdom of God will pay better dividends than any S&P 500 that you could possibly imagine, that God will take care of you. That he will take care of you. Uh, the world offers to exploit our desires. It offers friends we don't want. And finally, lastly, the world will loosen our grip on the truth. In verse 20 it says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have the knowledge of God. Uh, I don't know if you've used the word anointed in a sentence in the last three years, but I haven't. Um, but, you know, you kind of think of anoint as pouring oil on somebody. In James it talks about elders can come by and anoint oil on a, someone who's sick and to pray for them that they might be saved. And the word sozo in Greek is sort of this fascinating word I won't go into. Um, but you are anointed with oil. But he's saying in the same way that you anoint someone with oil, the Spirit has been poured out on you like a jar. That the Spirit of God, for those of us who follow Jesus, it's poured on us like a jar. And while, he's, while the Spirit is being poured out into you, you get to have knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth that can protect us. We have a, uh, a Muslim guy that's been coming to our church for about six years. This is great. Um, he's half Iranian and a quarter Afghan and a quarter Indian. And uh, I still remember that it was kind of my turn to... Uh, he was in the back playing on his phone, and I was like, I should probably sit with him. <coughs> and uh, for those of you who have tried to... Uh, um, hang out with an 18-year-old who's talking on their phone, you know, the Lord bless you. Because uh, it's not always easy. 18-year-olds, listen up. 16, 15, we're trying. We're trying, and it doesn't always go well. And uh, I was like, I was trying to engage. I was trying to ask questions. And I was starting to sweat because I was so uncomfortable. And uh, I don't know, five, ten minutes goes by in total silence. Another five months goes by in total silence. I'm like, I'm just trying to meet this guy, and it's going terrible. And I thought, I, I can't handle how uncomfortable I am right now. And uh, I thought, well, man, I, 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 good to see you. <laughs> and uh, he stood up, and he wrapped his arms around my neck, and he said, thanks, Stephen, I really needed that. And I thought, who are you talking to? <laughs> because I did nothing. I felt like I was hurting it in that time. And, and you know what? This guy does not come to faith yet. But six years into attending our church, he said his first prayer the other day. And he came to me and he said, Stephen, I prayed for the first time. The next time I saw him, he said the same thing. Every time I've seen him for the last three times, he's like, hey, did I tell you I prayed for the first time? To Jesus. You see, being a part of the community of faith helps us to hold on to the truth. My little broken, nothing awkward, sweaty attempt did very little. It did very little, and yet all of us together, hugging each other tight, whispering in each other's ears, God's going to come back for us. He's going to take care of us. It's all going to be worth it. Loving those who are unlovely. Realizing that we are oftentimes the unlovely one. 
And yet when we are loved by God, we do. We see a little bit above the hill. We just get a glimpse of the kingdom of God that's coming in the world. And that he's using the likes of us. That's the amazing thing about the gospel, is that he uses our little tiny broken attempts that we might taste and see that the Lord is good so that we can reject we can reject the shallow desires that are being exploited by the world. We can reject those that are tempting us away from the church and those that we can reject those that are where we're loosening our grip on the gospel because He came for the likes of us. So friends, this week, I just want to encourage you. Just one more hour. It's the last hour. It's the last hour. If it's the last hour, let's hold on. John beat us there, but it's the last hour. It's the last hour, and it will all be worth it. He said that he will reward us up to a hundredfold. Because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what the kingdom offers. Let us not settle Let us not settle for the cheap toys of the world. Let's pray. God, forgive me for my sins. There are so many. The world is so alluring to me. It tricks me so often. Help us to hold out just another hour. That we might be surrounded and kept and rewarded by you. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.